and welcome to Switchbacks, a travel podcast where we reflect on our year visiting all 59 U.S. national parks. Whether you are planning to visit your very first park or you bleed gray and green, we're here to share our insights on exploring, understanding, and loving America's best idea. Thanks for tuning in. Today we're chatting about two big parks. We'll also share about a unique opportunity within the parks. Happy listening! All right, share your dumb stuff that nobody wants to hear. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thanks a lot. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Way to get people hyped up. No, so I, I wrote on the I wrote on the notes, the show notes. Let's talk about Belize things. Yeah, but we're gonna and be planning said, for Belize for the next few weeks. Let's let's talk about let's talk about a business internship. <laughs> 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 so, so go ahead yeah so i am excited because on thursday i have an interview for an internship i've been doing a lot of interviews for lately but this one is for a position within the national park service it is pretty cool actually yeah so they have an opportunity where mbas uh, masters in business can do an internship where they do a consulting project within a given national park. So you apply and apparently it's pretty competitive. You, in the end, do 10 weeks basically just analyzing the nitty gritty of these a specific park and its operations and how it makes money and does business. So I think that's super interesting. But it is. I not... hope you get it and we get to live in the parks this summer. Yeah. That'd be really fun. So we'll see. I would love to be in the parks again, but there's also a ton of other good opportunities that would be hard to turn down. We um, will see. But yeah, it's really cool that they do stuff like that where they're engaging, you know, young, younger students to, you know, put put to use what they're learning in the classroom they do a lot of stuff like that i've seen i've seen um like internship type things also for college kids just for the summers um so even even like undergrad students and even high school students there's all sorts of opportunities so if you're ever interested there's tons of ways to get involved in the parks what are you doing cole now that you call attention to me we'll have to edit all this out no, let's not edit it out. Let's let everyone listen to you fiddle around with crap. We'll put this at the Somebody's end. Somebody's cranky blue. today. I am cranky. You even had ice cream. I did. Nick sent home six girls on the bench. <laughs> did he put you in a bad mood? Yes. It's about love. Yeah. <laughs> today was all about rejection. He was not feeling the love. No, it felt. He looked like he was gonna throw up the whole time. Yeah. Should well, we get back to talking about the national parks? Right. There okay. are other podcasts that talk all about The Bachelor. Hey, so. this, this segment is called Chat, so I believe it can be about <laughs> anything we want it to be. Okay. Well, let's move on to the segment called Parks in the News. Even more depressing. Yeah. So if you haven't noticed, the parks have been in the news a lot lately. Let's see. There's They're been lots the of... champions of the resistance. <laughs> There's been lots of <laughs> tweets that have gotten attention from, quote, rogue national parks. 
There's been... Quote or hashtag? <laughs> hashtag. <laughs> there's been a new National Park Service historian, chief historian uh, selected. There's been... What else? Uh, Congress has been working on a law for loosened drilling regulations within the national parks. Lots of interesting headlines. And depressing. Lots of depressing things. Your friendly reminder to donate to the, <laughs> to, uh, the national parks or support them in some way. Volunteer, donate, buy a national parks pass, buy things from the, the um, National Park Foundation. Sorry. Get back. Let's get back. Yeah. To <laughs> yeah. Just so, throwing it out there, guys. It's cool to retweet stuff, but it's even cooler to buy a parks pass. That's true. That's, Share the love. So we won't get, we'll avoid all that political um, quagmire, but we will share this real interesting article that I saw, uh, and I'll throw in some a couple quiz questions for Elizabeth along the way. And I'm so excited because I've never gotten quizzed. I'm probably going to be really bad. Finally I'm not her good turn. At, I'm not good at trivia, and I'm not good at being on the spot. So let's see how this works. So recently, the the you know President Trump put on a hiring freeze of federal employees, and the parks were really worried because they have to hire a lot of seasonal workers to every year. Yeah, every year to cover the influx of summer visitors. Uh, however, they did get granted an exemption. Yeah, I was going to say I heard they 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 were cool for mm-hmm. this summer. Yeah, so that's really good news because that's the only way parks can operate. Um, now, the first question is, how many full time or you know I, they also throw in part time workers are in the National Park Service? Oh, so many! Like all employees. Uh, yeah. Like rangers and maintenance and... Yeah, permanent and temporary uh, employees, according to this random article on CNN. Um, um, uh, 25,000. Actually, not as far off as I thought Really? <laughs> it's 12,000. Oh, okay. That's it. <laughs> it seems like there should be more. Right. The national parks are, they're hardworking, though. They are. They work as hard as twenty five thousand employees. <laughs> so I think I'm right. <laughs> so how ding, many? Ding ding ding. <laughs> sure. So how many seasonal employees do you think there okay, are? Okay, so those were permanent, right? Right. Okay, seasonal then. Another. Maybe, almost the same, because there are so many more in the summer. Let's say ten thousand. Very, very close. Oh, there guys, are eight thousand. So okay, good. So I'd ding, say ding, that's ding. That yeah, <laughs> sure. I like these quizzes, <laughs> especially when you get to grade yourself. <laughs> um, okay, next question: What okay. is one of the most common occupations for a seasonal park employee? And a, a park employee, not a concession, not a concessionaire, right? Right. Um, most... Like, what's the rest of their year job? Oh, teacher. Yep, you got it. Yeah, that makes sense. Or college student also makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, Or, like, someone who works 
in a different park in this winter. I guess that's the permanent employee. Never mind. So don't forget all of those great employees too. All the seasonal people who put in just as much work during the time they're there and really make your experience happen. Um, so let's get on to the parks. What do we have sure. for this week? So this week we're talking about big parks. Big parks. Big parks. <laughs> so we have as not even big parks, Death Valley and... And the biggest park, Wrangell St. Elias. And the reason we're including both of these is because they, they, they're, they're very different as far as how you can explore them. But they're, the Death Valley is the biggest national park within the contiguous United States at 3.4 million acres. And Wrangell St. Elias is the biggest national park in all of the U.S. at 13 million, 13 and a half million acres, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah, or 12 million something. I, I'm not sure. I think it's 13. Okay. Okay, so we're going to talk about Death Valley first. Uh, we visited that. We visited Death Valley in March of 2016, and it was during a very unique time, which a lot of you might have heard about. The Super Bloom was happening in Death Valley when we we just happened to be going at the same time, so that was really good timing. Yeah, and quick update on how the super bloom works basically these wildflowers are all over death valley and they leave seeds every year and most years the seeds do not germinate they just kind of sit there and hang out for a while Uh, but some years it's just the right amount of precipitation that happens in the fall and they germinate and then in the spring after the colder winter months, they all come up at once. And, and spring being like end of February and early March, they all sprout at once. And it's just unreal how many you see because they've just been piling up, just ready to explode. Mm-hmm. And it was good. It was awesome. It was, no, <laughs> you it are was... so depressing today. <laughs> No, it was... Like, it was really cool. Beautiful. It was just really, really built up. It was and built we, up a we, lot. We went past the peak time, and it was really crowded. But it was it was cool. And to see all these flowers in the middle of the the driest place in the world, in the country at least, and the um, cool was thing really was, amazing. The cool thing was that the bloom basically shifts through the park. It starts at the really low elevations with all of the desert sunflowers the really yellow ones and those just during the peak time looked like a blanket of yellow we came a little after that as it was transitioning from the blanket of yellow to the mid elevations where you started to get some different varieties Mm -hmm. some reds and purples and all of that in with the yellows and then after that you have your uh, upper elevations and then even on the mountains uh, late in the summer, they have flowers too. So it's anytime you go, probably from uh, I don't know February through July, you'll probably see flowers. Yeah, it's it, it we, it's more of a flower park than we realize <laughs> all the time. But we we happen to go during the extra flowery time, <laughs> right? Yes. And there were flower walks. 
There were all types of oh, flowers. Oh, Cole's favorite. Cole is a flower guy. Did you guys know this? Yeah. He likes flowers. He always points them out to me and knows their names. I'm not a flower person, and I appreciate that. Yeah. Now I just have to get him to buy them for me. <laughs> I was just going to say, that's why I buy you so not, many flowers He's not really a flower guy. Uh, so the flowers were awesome. Uh, the rain was unexpected yeah that was another unique thing about our visit is that you guys have to understand death valley national park gets about less than two inches of rain per year driest place in the world and it definitely rained while we were there (laughs) so that was exciting not it was fine it was the driest or is it the just the it's some superlative it's the hottest the driest driest in north america hottest driest lowest in U.S. in the U.S. Okay. I know that. Yeah. Those three things in Death Valley. Anyway, so less than two inches a year. But while we were there, we got lucky enough for it to rain, which is nice. It cooled it down a little bit. Um, uh, but it did destroy the wind. Destroyed our tent, which yeah. we had been going for about eight months of our trip, plus what two years before that, two or three years before that uh, on our beautiful glorious rei half dome tent that we loved so much we brought it everywhere and it lasted through a lot of a lot of rain a lot of things but it did not outlast death valley wind and i blame sunset campground oh my gosh guys 100 worst campground ever seriously the worst we stayed in for sure uh, for the whole year we were out camping um it is basically a cement parking lot worse than walmart because it costs money. Yeah, and it costs, you know, 15 bucks, whatever. That's pr- fairly average. There but are no donuts. Then, yeah, there's also, you basically get a parking lot parking lot space worth of room to put your tent. Still fine if the ground <laughs> wasn't rock, concrete, solid, and you couldn't drive in any stakes or anything. So when these massive winds come with this storm that's bringing in, you know, a few sprinkles of rain, it just rips and destroys every fly in the place and carries people's belongings throughout the whole parking lot. Yeah. It it would have been funny if we weren't so frustrated trying to keep our stuff right. and together. We, we didn't even start the night. We were like, this is crazy wind. We're just going to take the fly off. And we did. But then it started raining. And I was like, no, I'm not having this. And I woke up in the middle of the night when the fly was off and my body was coated in, in sand, like in oh, dirt. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was pretty bad, too. So we put the fly on. We tried to bungee it to the car and to the signs and to other things and it still did just it was not a good situation it got shredded luckily we had our alps uh tent yeah th- at that point and, and we used that for the rest of the year yeah which we could barely even sit up in it's a backpacking tent yeah but it is a lot lighter a lot smaller yeah i like that tent i love that tent it it's just it's i think about how small it is and how we could not both sit up hardly at the same time and we lived in it <laughs> yeah. That's what I think about. Those were the days. Anyway, so Death Valley was amazing, though. Death Valley was an awesome park. Um, some of the highlights for us, of course, Badwater Basin, which is the lowest point in the United States. Um, it's really cool. You go all the and it's, it was super windy again. Um, but it's, it's, um, it's like all these salt, what do you call them? Salt. 
like salt flats. Yeah. Sort of. Um, you can look up, up the, the cliff. If you turn around and look up, you can see where they marked sea level. And you're, what, like 200 feet below sea level, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, so that was a really, just a really cool experience. There's a sign and everything that you, it's kind of like a bucket list thing. Yeah. Superlative. Um, yep. Artist Drive was a really pretty scenic drive with lots of colors. The one I liked more than that was the golden, what was that? You didn't put it on the notes, but that first hike we did uh, oh. that was basically, In it looked like Badlands. It was going through a canyon. Yeah, I have the picture on our, I'm going to put the picture on the show notes page, um, but it was really, it was like something canyon, I think. Anyway, Cole's looking it up. But I'll keep talking. The ranger programs were also really amazing at Death Valley. We went to a, the Super Bloom flower program. We did, also did evening programs every night. And there were some uh, really interesting presentations. And we actually met a ranger at... Oh my gosh, Cole. Did you even re- did you remember this fact? I didn't even know oh, when I linked it. Yeah, you're I so grouped, right. I grouped these two parks together kind of, Well, just because of their size. We heard a presentation by a ranger in Death Valley, and we saw her in Wrangell St. Elias. Six months later. Six months later, and we were like, we've seen this ranger before. It was so cool. Yeah. That happened to us twice, actually. We saw a ranger in a little, in a Klondike Gold Rush. No, not Klondike Gold Rush. Yeah. No, yeah, Klondike right. Gold Rush historic site in Skagway, Alaska, that we had seen in Capitol Reef National Park. Yeah. So it's a very small National Park world, 12,000 12, employees. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of seasonal, these people do seasonal jobs sometimes, but they just rotate to the next season. Yeah, that's what I was trying to get at earlier. National Park, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, great ranger programs. The uh, hike we were trying to think of was Golden er, Canyon, Golden Canyon Trail, uh, and near Gower Gulch. And it was um, a very, pretty short trail, three miles maybe yeah. around. Gorgeous views though. Oh my gosh. You qu- And kind of a fun little rock scramble during some parts. Some parts you kind of had to use hands, but nothing scary. And so much of that whole landscape in Death Valley beyond just the salt flats, Badwater Basin stuff is this beautiful layered color of rocks uh, like Artist Point, Golden Canyon, uh, you just, it looks like the Badlands, but so many different colors. Mm -hmm. And yeah, Death Valley was much more colorful than I expected it to be. Well, Mm -hmm. with the flowers and Zabriskie Point was another one. Zabriskie Point and Dante's View were really awesome overlooks. They're just drive up overlooks, but they're really good for sunset and sunrise. Actually, a lot of people go to Zabriskie Point for both, for sunrise and then come back for sunset. Um, and we both we enjoyed both of those. But one of the really cool things that was unique about Death Valley were the free drive-up backcountry campsites. So basically, anywhere on an unpaved road, you could drive, I think you had to drive a mile away from the paved road, and then you can camp wherever you want to so we would just kind of drive find a dirt road which are there are a lot of them throughout the park 
and then um, drive a mile-ish, maybe a little more than a mile, and set up our tent. And it was kind of a nice way to save a little bit of money and get out of the worst campground in the world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, another just nice break we had was lounging at Furnace Creek Inn. I did like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we just sat on their porch, and it was a really good view. It's it's a super expensive hotel, so it's like $400 a night. It's almost, almost um, Awani. Right. Almost the price of Owani in Yosemite. Right. But really, I mean, why pay for a hotel room when you can just sit <laughs> on their uh, patio furniture yeah, for this, free? We did the same thing with Owani. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it, it was nice. We soaked in the ambiance and the view and yeah. then went back to our backcountry site. Um Death Valley was cool, though. We the, Another oh, thing... we forgot about the sand dunes. I was just going to say that, the okay. mesquite sand dunes. I didn't write that down, but that was something that we just kind of threw in on the last day, and um, it was really cool, though. We hiked up. Did we hike to the highest dune? Yeah. We mm-hmm. did, and then we ran down the sides. It was fun. That was yeah. a cold day. I remember wearing a, a sweatshirt during that day. Mm-hmm. It was pretty chilly. Yeah, so it was it's raining a, again. Basically, it's got a, a ton of different stuff. Uh if you're into history, they also have some ghost towns around the area Yeah, that a lot of people go to. There are, like, thousands of abandoned mines throughout the park. And um, and so, of course, these little boom towns all over the perimeter of the park that you can visit that we kind of drove through one, and it was okay. And we didn't get to – yeah, we went to Rhyolite, Nevada. Yeah. It, it was – it wasn't my favorite thing, but it was cool. There was a house made out of bottles. Yeah. That was pretty cool. Glass glass <laughs> bottles. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the one thing that I would go back for is yeah. Smitty's Castle. Oh, what yeah. were you gonna say? Well, so Death Valley, we didn't, we weren't able to access everything because of the, because of our not four wheel drive car. So I mm. thought you were gonna say, um, what is that called? The racetrack. The racetrack. Yeah, yeah. So it's the it's the rock that you see that kind of has like a dirt path behind it, like it moves and. It's sort of a mystery that rangers really don't know how it moves. They have a lot of theories, and some are a pretty pretty probable theories of how this moves through the dirt, but it's so interesting. Yeah, so basically it's a flat, like, dirt field almost, and there are just rocks that move And this is, like, hard dirt. In the middle of hard it. Hard dirt, like, yeah. with cracks in it. And the rocks just like drag around and move and leave trails, so you know they're moving. Um, but it takes four wheel drive to get there. We didn't have it. We couldn't go. Right. But um, when we re- when we go back and rent a jeep, that's where we'll be going. And hopefully, sure. Smitty's Castle will be recovered yes. from the flood that shut it down too. Yes. So two reasons to go back. Yep. What's another park you want to go back to? Wrangle St. Elias. I don't know. Actually, I could probably wait a little bit, but it's it was one of our top was our one of our top ten national parks mm-hmm. was Wrangle St. Elias, the largest national park. So let's talk about that now. Yeah, it's got mainly two areas. So one is Nasbina, Nabesna, Nabesna, close though, <laughs> and that's on the northern side. Yes, uh, we didn't 
go there at all, really. We went to the more frequently visited Much area more. of uh, McCarthy and Kennecott. So basically, you take this thing called McCarthy Road. It's uh, so it just goes straight for miles into the middle of the park. And you park at the end of it, then you get a shuttle up to the old Kennecott mine, mine town. And that's where the park headquarters, the visitor center, uh, the old historic mining building is that you can check out the lodge uh, and where you hike to get to the campground from. Right. So we loved the free campground, which was called Jumbo Creek. And it was about a mile and a half from town. And so it did become like really long because we would hike. We hiked usually back and forth a couple different times throughout the day. (laughs) Just going back and getting food and coming back for ranger programs. And then like we hiked so much at Wrangell, St. Elias. But anyway, it was a gorgeous campground. One of our favorite sites of all time. Um, Just all these sites that were right along the ridge of this mountain, of this big, pretty big mountain. And it had, almost all the sites had views of the giant root glacier yeah. and, the, and the mountains in the back. So it was amazing, awesome, awesome views. And they had bear boxes, which was comforting. Yeah, so one of the really cool things, unique things about the park was how uh, close it was to this glacier. And where we were specifically, we were in our campground, the glacier was just right down the slope below us, and it poured from the mountains. We could see the huge tall mountains in the distance, and it just poured from those and ran all the way, you know, the length past the campsite, past the mining town, and it was really cool to just walk along the side of the mountain and get good views of all of that, get good views of the icefall, where it came from. But also, one day, we actually went down to Root Glacier. It was it was called Root Glacier. Uh, that's the close one to the campsite. Uh, farther away and going back was Kennecott Glacier. But... Mm-hmm. Root Glacier was the one we got to hike on. And that's the one that a lot of people hike on. Yeah, and so a lot of, we weren't necessarily special. Yeah, but. a lot of tours. There are a lot of um, Glacier crampon tours that you can book. We had a coupon through uh, Tour Saver, Alaska Tour Saver, which is like a buy one, get one coupon book. And so we had buy one, get one coupons for these Root Glacier hikes. So we, we booked one. We thought it would be fun. Um, and it was awesome. It was amazing. The guide was really knowledgeable, and we, there were only two other people on the, the tour. T- talked about the town, the historic parts of the town a little bit, and then we walked out to this glacier and strapped on crampons and, and walked all through the glacier. And it was it was um, really cool to see the clear glacier water mm-hmm. just, like, snaking its way through in these really interesting formations we filled up our water bottles with glacial water, which is delicious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't realize it f- just looking from a distance, but there are so many streams and waterfalls within this glacier mm-hmm. on the surface going down in inside it. Uh, it's crazy how alive it is once you get onto the surface. Yeah, it was definitely one of my favorite things that we did in Alaska, I think. 
um, just because it was really unique. We had never done anything like that before. Now you can do this just on your own. You don't have to get a guide. If you have crampons, that would definitely help. The ice is very sharp, mm-hmm. um, but it is possible if you have really good hiking boots, it is possible to walk out on the glacier. You might not want to go too far or, you know, be really, really, really careful. But the ranger did tell us it's possible to go out on your own. Yeah. Yeah. And just walk out and explore a little bit. We didn't walk too far with the guide, but we did. I did feel like he had a ton of good information to where the hike was worth it. The, the tr- Buying the tour was worth it. Definitely. And then the next day we had our one of our top five or ten um, day hikes. Day hikes. We talked about this yeah. on a couple podcasts back. So this was called the Bonanza Mine Trail, and it was crazy steep. It was about four and a half miles up and about 4,200 feet of elevation, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just unrelentingly steep. Like, it wasn't it wasn't like climbing. It wasn't like we were ever that. It just was unrelenting. So we were just up, 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 up. There was no breaks. So you're basically going most of, most of the way, at least three miles, you're walking up an old mining road, so just an old gravel road that's just steep. And then you get onto a dirt trail, and then you cross this little creek, and then and then you're up, and you can start seeing some of the rusty ruins from the mine that are just kind of littering the stream. And then you just keep hiking up and up, and you can see the mine, and then it's like another mile still <laughs> of up. And then finally you're up there, and... You climb up this last little hill, and it's just the um, most amazing. Everything opens up. The whole Kennecott Valley, um, including, what's the mountain called? Blackburn. Blackburn. I always forget that. Blackburn Mountain, which is 18,000 feet, and it's just beautiful. So beautiful. We saw a doll sheep. Yeah, just mind-blowing. Uh, once you get up to the very top, because you can't just stop once you get to the uh, old mine and the ruins. That's you have to go up to the top of the ridge and get the view of the whole valley and the glacier and the mountains surrounding it. Uh, wo- just one of the best views we've ever seen, and so cool to eat lunch up there and. All worth it, for sure. Hundred percent, yeah. That was. We also one of the cool things we ran into a group of high school kids from Brooklyn, New York. Right. That was really cool too. There's a there's a guy who owns. I guess he has some private land within the park. Yeah, because maybe just adjacent to the park. There's tons of private land just interspersed and woven into the park. That's just how it is. And really, all Alaska parks. Yeah, yeah. Um. Anyway, he but he's from New York. He owns some land in Alaska, and every year he just brings a group of high school kids out to hike and explore and camp and it's and pays for their experience of this whole other world right and it's just something they would never get to experience otherwise yeah we just saw like some of the kids were hiking in front of us and they were just like jaws open in complete awe of what Mm -hmm. was going on it was pretty cool to see that yeah so that was an awesome way to end the time in um 
in Wrangell. And we really did not want to leave. We only had like three days there, which was not enough time. Yeah. Um, it, it was probably enough time for the area that we had that we were going to visit, just the Kennecott area. But we, there are a lot of other options of how you can visit the park if you have more time or if you have more money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there, there are a lot of flying tours throughout Wrangell St. Elias. And so you can fly to straight to McCarthy. Um, you can fly, you can do like a little flyover, fly over the glacier, fly through the park in a little bush plane. Um, you can fly, get dropped off somewhere within the park and go backpacking. That's definitely an awesome, op, op, awesome option. You can have a, go th- get a guided backpacking tour. You can stay actually in Kennecott. They have a lodge. They have an old historic lodge and it's fancy and it's too fancy for us. Well, we were super close to staying there, if That's you true. remember. We had a coupon for that, too. They were yeah, just all booked up. This Tour Saver book is is totally worth it if you mm-hmm. go to Alaska and go to, I mean, do any type of parks. They had a, yeah, they had a, a, a flight, flight seeing tour. They had the the um, glacier tour, and they had the buy one, get one night at, a, at the lodge. Yeah, and the, um, yeah, so for... Two nights, it would be two hundred dollars for two nights, which we would almost spring for. We were we were really close, just because I was really scared about hiking the mile and a half away from civilization to camp with bears, and um, it would have been it would have been a it was it was it was the second park I guess in Alaska, but we had just driven all the way through Canada. It would have been a nice respite, but. Anyway, camping was amazing. I'm glad mm-hmm. we camped. Yeah. You can it's, also... It's one of our top 10 campsites. Right. And you can hear about that on a previous podcast, exactly. too. Exactly. Um, you can also stay... There are, there are a lot of places that are probably a little bit cheaper to stay in McCarthy. And then you can also drive the unpaved road into the Nebesna area, which Nebesna and Kennecott are the only drivable areas within the park to get to. Otherwise, you got to fly. It's huge. It's huge, man. Yeah, and I feel like, so real quick, we haven't really talked about the actual Kennecott mine at all, but that was really cool too. Uh, Just very historic, uh, right in the Kennecott Center area, a 14-story wooden structure. It was the tallest in North America at the time, and actually it's still the tallest wooden structure. The tallest standing yeah, yeah, I feel like that's almost a cheating statistic because it's yeah. kind of built diagonal <laughs> into the mountain. So most of the stories are only one or two stories high. It just happens to total up to 14 stories. True. But regardless, super pretty, cool, and definitely spend some time walking around there too and getting to know the history. Um, but other than that, we, yeah, I would. I'd love to go back to Wrangell because it's so huge. You can only scratch the surface. We like read about this whole, you know, backpacker has all these articles about these trails in the middle of um, the middle of the park that mm-hmm. are just in like the best tra- trail miles in the National Park Service. So yeah, we'll go. We'll go back at some point. We'll we'll go back. We're gonna do another lap of the national parks when we're sixty. Or let's face it, we're going to retire when we're like 45. Um, No, when we're 60, we're going to do another lap of the national parks. But 
lodge style. So we're going to stay in all the lodges. And I'm so excited. <laughs> so, so we'll, we'll go back and stay at the Kennecott Lodge. Sounds good. Maybe. It's a date. Maybe. So bottom line, with these two parks, they're both gigantic. Yeah, you got to know how to navigate them. You got to have a plan, especially in Death Valley when you can drive everywhere. Have a really distinct plan like, okay, I'm going to drive from Vegas to like from east to west or from north to south. Have a good layout of the things you want to see. Just look at look at maps, read some things online about it. Um, it's a really, it's, it's, it's awesome. There's so much to do, but it is a lot of driving. So just have a good plan in mind. And don't be afraid to leave things untouched because that's going to happen. You will have to be comfortable having to go back at some point. Uh, They're just too big and there's just too much spread out to cover in one trip. So make your peace with it now because we had to. Yep, Um, that's kind of the beauty of of the parks is that there are going to be some parts of the parks, all parks, that are completely untouched. That's right. So thanks for checking us out today. We'll be back next week with another top 10 list. Dun, dun, dun. If you enjoyed the podcast, we'd love for you to share us with a friend, give us a rating on iTunes, or find us on social media at Switchback Kids. And you can always get additional national parks, videos, posts, guides, and more on our blog at switchbackkids.com. Switchbacks out. out.